Thank you, Pastor. Not many of you have known it, but my dad has been hospitalized over the weekend, and I just got a call from my sister. I ducked out to take it, and um, he is doing much better this morning. Uh, levels they were concerned about are returning to normal, and uh, he wouldn't let anybody stay with him last night. He said, if I need you, I'll call. So, thankful for that. And I also want to take just a minute. I happen to know that uh, presidents of seminaries are prepared on the spur of the moment even to speak. And Dr. Peter Lilback is in the building. And I don't want to say any more without giving him an opportunity to bring greetings because I know how much he is loved by this congregation. So, Dr. Lilback, please come up and just say something. We'll take anything we can get. No pressure. I'm always concerned when folks like this show up, even though I went to a different seminary, I always suspect that maybe they might have access to my uh, transcript and could change a grade. <clears throat> By the skin of his teeth. <laughs> At any rate, uh, we do want to draw our attention to God's Word. That's why we're here. Uh, we prayed this morning, a group of us in the pastor's study, before coming out as we do every Sunday. And uh, I prayed simply as we were coming out here that all of us, that our eyes would be open today so that we would see no man except Jesus and Him only. And that continues to be my prayer. So, let's look together at God's Word. We've come to Luke chapter 5 where today we will begin reading with verse 12 as we've continued our way through this extraordinary account of the extraordinary life of the Lord Jesus Christ, reminding ourselves that Luke, the physician, the beloved doctor, has good news as it was in the first century, and so it remains in the 21st century. The greatest news that the world will ever hear. It is God's good news about his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and so in Luke 5, beginning with verse 12, hear the word of God. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was upon him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. And may the Lord bless this reading of his word as we. Give him praise for it. Amen. Author David McCullough said that when Anne Morrow Lindbergh, the wife of the famous aviator Charles Lindbergh, got the news that a dear friend, the French aviator Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, was lost in a reconnaissance mission somewhere over the Mediterranean in July 1944, she wrote, There is something terrible about the word lost. It has a special agony of its own, quite distinct from death. As believers, we are quite familiar with the word lost, and we realize it has a lot more to do with a spiritual condition than to be the victim of a crash over a body of water. When we read This passage of scripture, and when we see the words conveying to us a leper seeking cleansing and a paralyzed man whose friends seem to overcome all obstacles to get him to the one person on the face of the earth who can help him, we have a sense beyond perhaps what others may have of what it means to be clean and healed and made whole and able to walk. Yes, we understand what it means to be lost as well as what it means to be found. It is an extraordinary event as we look at what unfolds here before us. This man who is described as being full of leprosy, covered with whatever disease it may have been, probably not what we have designated now in modern times as Hansen's disease or otherwise leprosy proper, but some profound Illness that manifested itself on the skin so that he was deemed to be unclean. Or as it says in Leviticus chapter 13 verses 45 to 46, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. To be excluded from family and community only added to the severity of his own condition. And all of us, to one degree or another, have experienced what it means to be excluded to be outside the group, to be outside the camp. So understand that 
It's not just that this man was desiring to be made well. He wanted to be declared clean so that he could return, so that he could be a part of the family again. I mean, after all, we've been through the global pandemic that is COVID-19. Remember, as I do back in March of 2020, when we were contemplating moving to a place we had only been to once, Bonita Springs, Florida. And at the same time, the government was beginning to impose the restrictions because that illness was going around. And we thought, you know, this thing could last a month. Thank the Lord Jesus has fulfilled the law and they don't stone false prophets anymore. I and whether people alike would have met our demise long ago. But even so, we came to understand a little bit about what it means to have to distance ourselves. We didn't go around saying unclean, unclean, but we weren't hugging and we weren't shaking hands. And many of us still are having to be careful about those sorts of things. But this man, this man experienced something much more intense than that. So understand the urgency in his request, full of leprosy, and he saw Jesus. The only person on the face of the earth that could offer any hope to him whatsoever was standing right there. What do you do? He was close to him. Close enough that Jesus was able to touch him. Remember the ten lepers later on in Luke 17 that we'll meet later. They stood at a distance. But this man being full of leprosy had come near. Mark chapter 1 verse 41 tells us that Jesus was moved with pity or compassion. This man in seeking Jesus wanted to know the answer. And in this story, we get the answer. Jesus is both willing and able to deliver those who call on him. Isn't that good news? Not only is he able, he also is willing. And so he demonstrates that. And he does this uh, extraordinary thing. The law having decreed that touching someone with leprosy would contaminate them. And there wasn't a specific prohibition against touching. But you were not to come near. Because the idea was, if you touch someone with leprosy, you'll get leprosy. But we're not dealing with just anybody. We're dealing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is God in the flesh. And rather than he being contaminated with leprosy, he imparts something to the leper. This begins to foreshadow for us the very notion of Jesus taking our sin upon himself at the cross. So that he who knew no sin became sin for us. But don't misunderstand what Paul says to the Corinthians in that passage. It doesn't say that Jesus became a sinner. He became sin. Our curse was laid upon him. But his perfect righteous life endured. So that as our sin was laid upon him, he became an atoning sacrifice for sin. So that we might, by faith in him, become the righteousness of God. So even though our sin is laid upon him, he is not contaminated. Rather, we are healed and made whole and declared clean. It is extraordinary. Jesus reversed the equation by touching and healing the man, yet he remained holy. 
It is holy ground upon which we stand as we consider a matter so extraordinary. And note that the man was healed immediately. <laughs> you know, there was, uh, you know, no going home and waking up in the morning. No incantation. No instructions. Jesus said, be clean. That's the end of the matter. His word is powerful. And it's not simply that he was healed, but Jesus directs him to go to the temple, to the one who had been authorized by God to declare him to be clean so that he could regain his position in the community. And suddenly, one who was excluded found himself rejoined with life and others. And, of course, the fame of him spreads. The man, even though he's instructed by Jesus not to say anything about it, does exactly the opposite. Mark informs us. He told people. Jesus apparently is concerned that there not be any sort of a movement ahead of its time that would lead to his being crucified. Everything had to happen in time. And so Jesus wasn't seeking to be a spectacle. Like I've said about other things in recent days, our thinking might be, wow, let's get this man together. We can come up with a whole program and a movement. We can market this thing. We've got a healer here. We've got something of uh, a word that I learned uh, just this week. A thermoturgist. That's a miracle worker on the same level as a magician. But Jesus is not one of those. I'm not going to try to say it again. I've played it three times. You know how you can do that on Google? Play the word and learn how to say it. Thermoturgist. He is not a spectacle. He's the genuine article. And so his purpose in all of this was to restore the man, not to spread his own fame. His purpose in all of life was to glorify the Father and to do the Father's will. And so it must be ours. Fame begins to spread. People are coming to him, crowding him. Seems as if he couldn't go anywhere. But it remained a matter of importance that in the course of a busy public ministry, private prayer was essential. He withdrew to desolate places to pray. We need to mark that. And I've made a point of it to emphasize it for our sakes and to remind you, as the Puritan of old said, if you live without prayer in this life, you live without God in this life. Prayer for the Christian is as essential as breathing is to the human body, the means by which we have fellowship with the Father. And you can be assured if the perfect, sinless Son of God deemed it necessary to spend that time with the Father in prayer, then you and I surely must be dependent upon that grace of the Lord that he has granted, wherein we have access before his throne of grace, and we can even come boldly. And notice that while these people are gathering in for whatever purpose it may be, because they're curious or because they're seeking healing, we see that Jesus attracts the interest of all kinds of people, from devoted disciples to hardened opponents, as we pick up right in that very next section on one of those days as he was teaching Pharisees. The first time the word is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, Pharisees and teachers of the law or scribes were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Do you see the attraction? 
And things haven't changed. Jesus continues to attract people of all kinds, curiosity seekers and skeptics alike. We know that the scribes and Pharisees weren't gathering to see if, in fact, this was the Messiah of God. They were beginning to look for ways to discredit him, to detract from him. And so in our own Christian walk, we need to know that, yes, while we come to him by faith, and I trust that you have, that you're here not just because you're curious or you're beginning to think or wonder if there's something to Jesus, but that we are coming by faith knowing that he has the authority and the power to do what no one else can do. But don't be discouraged simply because everybody who gathers to Jesus doesn't get it. There continue to be skeptics. There continue to be detractors. There continue to be all kinds of people, and they write books, and they give lectures, and they often teach in seminaries, unfortunately, though I'm thankful for good ones like Westminster. But people who really have no abiding faith in the Lord Jesus, who are not concerned about having faith in Jesus, but want to seemingly say anything and everything but the truth about Jesus. Don't be discouraged that all kinds of people are attracted to him. For the leper and the man who had paralysis understood something that they would never grasp, at least in the purview of the Gospels. That Jesus possessed the power to heal diseases. He didn't merely have the skill to treat them. Now, let me be careful with that because we have physicians in the building. I am exceedingly grateful for those who have skills to treat diseases, even as my dad is lying in the hospital. This morning, I am thankful for doctors and nurses and those who have the skill to be able to treat diseases and illnesses of all kinds. But Jesus, as the great physician, is more than that. He doesn't simply treat diseases. He heals them. He doesn't merely give you grace to cope with your sin and guilt. He removes them. Don't you understand? That ought to be enough to make a Presbyterian shout. Sin and guilt removed. He doesn't come along and say, you know, just deal with it. Here's some coping mechanisms. Uh, Read steps one through seven on page 17, and you'll feel a lot better about yourself. Bookstores and online sites are filled with writings of that nature. But Jesus spoke. Immediately the leprosy left that man who had been full or covered with leprosy. The great crowds gathered to hear him. Why? To be healed of their infirmities. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. Immediately, the man with paralysis, he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and he walked right out of there. Jesus didn't come along to teach us how to cope with our imperfections. No, he came to remove our guilt, to take away our sin, to say, be clean, be healed, be whole. And we'll stand before God, not coping with our Flaws will stand before him clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. I'll take that any day over what the world might offer. And even more astonishingly than the power to heal, as I've already alluded to, Jesus has the authority to forgive, to forgive sins. It's mentioned four times in this passage alone, verse 20, 21, 23, and 24. When he saw their faith, not only the man who was paralyzed, but the four friends who brought him. He saw their faith. There's a whole sermon there. 
Man, your sins are forgiven you. Wow. They didn't even come looking for that. But when you get Jesus, you get it all. When the Spirit of God comes upon us and we are granted the new birth so that we trust in Jesus by faith through repentance, we get all that has been procured for us by Jesus by way of the cross. We don't get it in bits and pieces. We get forgiveness of sins. We are reconciled to God. We are adopted into his family. We're able to cry out to him, Abba, Father. The skeptics, those who had gathered there, remember, looking for some way to trip him up. Oh, they thought they had their ammunition on this day. Oh, this man speaking blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? <laughs> well, when you've got God standing in the midst, brother, you've got it. Yes, only God can forgive sins. And God spoke and said, your sins are forgiven. So when we stand before the Lord on the judgment day, whatever accusations may have been hurled against us in life, whatever the accuser may have had to say against us in this life, we will have standing there the one who still bears the marks of nails in his hands and feet to declare forgiven. The guilt is gone, Father. Oh, glory. (laughs) Revive us again. Oh, revive us again that we may rejoice again in this gospel truth, even though the world has done its dead level best. To turn us away from its wondrous truth. To muddle our thinking to fill our days with anything but good news, to worry us and cause us to fret. Yes, God forgives sins. And when Jesus says forgiven, it is done. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Why? Which is harder to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or take up your bed and walk? Well, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. Easy to say. Your sins are forgiven. But to say, take up your bed and walk, you open yourself up to the possibility that the man might not do it, might not be able to do it. So it's easier to say things that are not verifiable with the eyes. But in order to demonstrate that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins and that they weren't merely words, he gives the other instruction, get up. And when that man got up, it demonstrates that Jesus has the authority for that greater command. Your sins are forgiven. Everything that Jesus does validates his identity. By meeting physical needs, he shows he is able to meet our ultimate need. Signs pointing to him, indicators of the true reality in the person of Jesus. So the good news from Romans 6.23 starts with bad news. For the wages of sin is death. Make no mistake about it. To be lost is to be apart from Christ. I also think of that beloved Baptist pastor of old Vance Havner who said things as well as anyone ever could. He remembered, because he was born around 1900, he remembered the tragedy of the Titanic. And he said, you know, the only thing that ship ever did was sink. And he said there were all kinds of people on it. There were wealthy people. 
middle class people, and then they were the poorest of the poor in the steerage. He said, after the disaster, when names were posted at the Cunard offices, they were under one of two categories, saved or lost. That tragedy had eradicated all distinctions. Are you listening? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So much for what we can earn, so much for trying to get there by our own efforts, that will get for us exactly what it deserves, a life that is sinful and in rebellion against God, no matter how it may try to make itself right with God, will always fall short. And will always deserve death. But along comes Jesus who lives that life that is perfectly pleasing to the Father. Who dies an atoning death on the cross. Who is raised from the grave. Who is ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. On that glorious throne from which he rules and reigns. And from which he one day will return to claim his own. In him there is everlasting life. And it is a gift. What qualified the leper? What qualified the man with paralysis? Their illnesses, both ostracized from community because people had excluded them. Their only qualification was the thing that had disqualified them from society. And with that, Jesus healed and saved. And so you come too. I hate to tell you, but you're... Your only qualifications are your defects. God is not up there reading your resume at this moment and is impressed with your life. It doesn't work that way. We don't see Jesus looking into the background of the leper or the man with paralysis or of his friends to determine whether or not he had time for them. They came with their imperfections and their flaws, with illnesses that had excluded them from everything that was dear to them. And yet, by his power, he restored them and they are reconciled. And so the extraordinary life of Jesus is the extraordinary thing that those people saw. It wasn't merely the actions that were demonstrated. It was the person who did those actions. And so today, you and I, by virtue of reading this precious word of God, once again are confronted with that extraordinary life. From whom we gain all benefit. He came to give it all and considered it all to be loss in order that we might have gain. That extraordinary life of Jesus proves his extraordinary identity. And so we rejoice in Jesus, our Savior. We give praise and thanks that he has done everything necessary for our sakes. We see that in him there is no one like him. We see that what Jesus is able to do cannot be duplicated by anybody else, not even by Thermaturgists. It wasn't a show. Jesus is for real. And so is the salvation that he brings. And thus, we rejoice. Hallelujah. Father in heaven, we come confessing and acknowledging our sin and guilt. There was a man full of leprosy. We, apart from your grace, are full of sin. We are paralyzed. And worse than that, apart from 
Christ, we are dead in sins and trespasses and utterly helpless to extricate ourselves from the dilemma that we're in. But oh, how grateful we are. How thankful we are that in that dark dungeon thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke in the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. And I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Gracious Savior, we thank you for your extraordinary grace. For the extraordinary work that you're accomplishing in the most ordinary of people. And we pray that by your grace, it may bring glory to your name. That long after our names may be forgotten here on earth, that your name, O Lord, will continue to be proclaimed among the nations. That others yet still to be gathered into the family may rejoice by faith over the one who does extraordinary things. In your name we pray. Amen. And so as we conclude together, let's uh, sing the hymn that you have listed there. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all to do and say. Let's stand together and sing for his glory. you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen.